Church family, good morning. It is good to be gathered together here, especially after a Penn State whiteout win. And uh, God is good. Amen. Praise the Lord. It is good to be here together. I realize some of us might be dragging into church a little bit here today. How many of you were at the game last night? Okay, a bunch of you. Wow. Okay, awesome. Um, I realize some of you may have been watching from the stands. Others of you may have been working in a stand, but where, wherever you were, uh, maybe you're coming in a little bit tired and weary here today, but you're here. And for that, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, in fact, I'm going to ask for a little help from each of you here this morning, if you're here. Um, if by some chance you notice the person next to you kind of dozing off or falling asleep or even snoring, I would encourage you, just give them a holy jab in the Lord, okay? Just, I mean, a holy elbow in the Lord. The Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss. This is going to be our post-football Sunday morning version. Just, just give them the blessing of waking up. We would really appreciate that. But hey, listen, in all seriousness, man, we're glad you're here. I'm, I'm excited to open up God's Word uh, here with you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up right now to the book of Ephesians. And we are in chapter 2. We're continuing our series called Rooted and Grounded. If you've been with us here at ACF, you know that we're, we've been processing through this series. If you're new, if you're joining us here for the first time, uh, a special warm welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. Uh, but we have been going through this study out of the book of Ephesians to, to learn how to live more rooted and grounded lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of... Challenges of life rattling my core. I'm tired of, of the, the hardships of life rocking my foundation. I believe that as people of faith, we are to live fundamentally different than that kind of way, that kind of uh, lifestyle. And so we want to learn how to live more rooted, more grounded lives where we're not so rattled and shaken up and crippled by the challenges of life. And so we've been studying out the book of Ephesians. Uh, to, to, to learn how to do just that. And today, we're going to look at the second half of Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. And we'll carry through to the end of the chapter. And so I want you to look with me at uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11. The text is on the handout you received on your way in, and will also be on the screen behind me if you'd like to look along that way. I'm going to be, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version here this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, pick me up at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole 
whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I pray that God would illuminate his word and this text before us here this morning. Now, before we unpack the contents of this passage, I believe that it's important that we gain some context. The content of a text really means not a whole lot unless we understand the context in which we're reading in. And, and, and for those of us who have no Bible background, we have no church upbringing, this passage might be a bit confusing to understand at first glance. And so let me, let me just try to paint in broad strokes here uh, in hopes to give you a fuller picture of what Paul is talking about before we try to even pull out any you know, specific takeaways or applications from this text. Okay, So... Paul here mentions some terms that I think it's important that we understand, we get on the same page on when it comes to understanding the heart of this passage. He opens up by using the term Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles in the flesh. Now, you may know this, you may not. A Gentile is anyone, any person who is not Jewish. And any non-Jew would be categorized as a Gentile. So the Greeks, the Romans, you and me, we would be considered Gentiles. And historically, one of the ways that Jews and Gentiles were delineated and separated and clearly distinguished one from another was through circumcision, which, was, which is another term that Paul throws around here in this passage. In fact, he identifies uh, the Gentiles as the uncircumcision in quotes. And, and the this, this circumcision of the flesh, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament in the Levitical law, was God's way of separating the Jews from the rest of the tribes and other nations uh, the neighboring nations in, uh, around Israel. And so God says, the way that I'm going to set you apart is through circumcision. But the separation wasn't just a physical separation, wasn't just a physical distinguishing factor from, from what made Jews different from Gentiles. The circumcision alone wasn't what separated Jews from the Gentiles. There were actually spiritual implications to this separation as well. You see, according to verse 12 of today's passage, if you were a Gentile, if you were a non-Jew, you were by nature, by the way, by no fault of your own, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you lived in this world without any access to God. That doesn't seem terribly fair, does it? Right? And the reason for all of this is because as long as the Jews could remember, as long as they could, stemming all the way back into the Old Testament, back in the, into the days of Abraham, the Jews were understood to be God's chosen people. That's another term you may recognize if you grew up in the, in the church. Israel was God's chosen people. In other words, God was going to bring about the fulfillment of, of his kingdom and his divine purposes and plans for the earth through Israel, through the Jewish people. Israel was going to be the primary mechanism in which God used to bring about all the blessings of heaven to all the people on earth. If you remember the promise that God made Abraham, what did he say? Out of your descendants, out of your seed, I will bless all the nations. It's out of Israel, it's out of this place. It was going to be through Israel that we understood who God was, how he was working amongst us, and what he was doing in our world today. The problem was, Israel kept screwing up. Israel kept sinning. 
He, he kept walking away from God time and time again. If you, if you know the Old Testament literature, you know the arc, the narrative arc, right? Like Israel, you know, is called by God, but then Israel walks away from God, and God reaches them back and calls them back, but then what does Israel do? Peace out, God. I'm gonna, we're going to go find our own way. We're going to go do our own thing, and they build idols and things and sculptures, and they worship other gods, and, and they keep walking away from God. So much so... That in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, we begin to see the unfolding of a new plan, a promise of a new plan coming to fruition. A new covenant, a new promise of sorts coming to the surface. We find that God would not raise a chosen people, but rather he would send a chosen person, a Messiah, a Savior. If you know the book of Isaiah, it talks about out of the stump of David, Will salvation come for all people? What was to come out of the people of Israel, God is now saying, I'm going to actually send a chosen one, not a chosen nation, but a chosen one, to call all people to myself. Out of this Savior, this Messiah, we would find the primary source of blessing for all the world. The problem the Jews couldn't let go of their God-given rights and privileges. The Jews couldn't let go of the fact that they, they couldn't shake the fact that they were still God's chosen people. They still held on to their rights and their privileges that they believed God gave them. Now, as you might imagine, with all of that background and context, understanding the, 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 the Jewish culture and the history there, you might imagine that this created some serious tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Right? Jews are walking around and we're like, we're the chosen ones. We, God's going to bring about his plans through us. God is going to bring about his purposes through us. And so consequently, what has happened over the course of history was the Jews looked down on the Gentiles as second-class citizens. They perceived them as less than human. They degraded them, oppressed them, and never even gave them a second thought. Now, the Gentiles hated the Jews for this. They, they resented the Jews on a very deep level for the lifelong oppression and the history of hatred and violence towards them that they received from the Jews, from the hands of the Jews. And as you can probably tell, there was a very clear dividing wall, a very clear rift, a very clear chasm between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, church, I wonder if this story sounds familiar to you at all. If you've been paying attention to what's been happening in our nation for the last couple of years, the historical narrative between the Jews and the Gentiles should not strike as a new story to many of us. Uh, listen, we, we might not hear terms like Gentiles in the flesh, right? We might not hear terms like the uncircumcision, right? Or terms like strangers to the covenants of promise or alienation from the commonwealth of Israel, right? Like those aren't terms that we hear today, but we do hear terms like Black Lives Matter. We do hear terms like white privilege, implicit bias, systemic oppression, equality, equity. But we are familiar with, with, with groups that, that uh, the rise of groups like the alt-right or the increase in hate crimes against other nationalities and ethnicities and races across our nation, the, the increasing outcry that is almost audible 
for things like peace and justice in our world. That we do here. I mean, you take your pick. We are, we are living in a time in a world where we're not seeing a shortage of things like violence, hatred, animosity, hostility, some explicit, some implicit, some exposed, some undercover, but it's no secret that we are living in a time where we are not at a shortage of any of those things towards other people when it comes to matters of racial division and separation in our world today. Now, you might be saying, Dan, it is way too early on Sunday morning to get political. You know, like, I don't feel like talking about this here this morning. Now, listen, listen, I'm not trying to stir the pot here. I'm not trying to raise anyone's blood pressure by bringing up topics of racial injustice in the church. I don't know what your church background is. Maybe you feel like the church should be talking more about this. Maybe you're feeling like the church shouldn't be talking about this at all. This is, this is left for you know, the, 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 the world to talk about and discuss. And I'm not trying to politicize the pulpit or weave in an agenda into today's sermon. That's not why I bring any of this up. I share all of this because the hope that the Jews and the Gentiles have in their struggle and in their battles is the same hope that we have today. The hope that the, 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 hope that the people of antiquity had during their, their racial tensions and their struggles all the way back during the Jews and Gentiles' time is the same hope that is made available to our broken and hurting world today. And what is that hope? That hope is actually twofold. For the next few moments, I just want to unpack this real quickly. The first half of this twofold, two-sided coin is this. Our hope is found in the fact that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. The peace that the world is crying out for. The peace that was so desperately needed between the Jews and the Gentiles comes only through the person of Jesus. That peace that we're looking for in our world, and as we look across our headlines, and as we look across our world today, and all the problems that we see today, friends, you want to know this, that peace does not come from our government. That peace does not come from, from, from the news outlets and journalists out there. The, the, that peace does not come from social justice organizations. Now listen, I'm not trying to take anything away from groups like these. I think they're doing wonderful things. But our ultimate hope for peace doesn't come from any of the, these places. It doesn't even come from you and from me. No matter how badly we might fight and long and yearn for peace, peace does not ultimately come from you or from me, no matter how good our intentions might be. Because the truth of the matter is this, our peacemaking abilities pale in comparison to that of the Prince of the peace that we try to bring about in our world and in our spheres of influence today pale in comparison to the work of the Prince of Peace. Jesus alone is our peace. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. Did you catch it? He says, but now in Christ Jesus, not in anyone else, not in anything else. In verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he goes on and he gets even more specific. He says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. No one else. He himself, Christ Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles of his time. Who has made, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It is Jesus who breaks 
this, uh, a pastor friend of mine, out, uh, he pastors out in Queens, New York uh, City, and um, he wrote a book last year, uh, a best-selling book called The Deeply Formed Life, which is a book I would highly recommend you get. Pick it up and read it. It's, a, it's an awesome read. In fact, I led my life group through this book last semester, and it was, we had a great time processing through this. But in the book, I just want to offer up one little short statement that he offers here that I think gets to the crux of what we're talking about. In the book, he says, the cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. The cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a, it's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. You see, Jesus' concern, believe it or not, wasn't just to get us saved and into heaven. Rather, his concern was the work of peace. True, lasting peace of breaking down walls of hostility between people groups. Of reconciling people, not just to himself, but one to another. Sometimes I think we like to boil down the Christian message that God reconciled us to himself. Yes, he did. But he was reconciling the world one to another, people to people. God is about the work of peace. Bringing peace because he is peace. The cross of Christ isn't just a bridge to get us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. Friends, we stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. No one stands superior or inferior when we come to the foot of the cross. We are all level at the foot of the cross. So blacks, whites, Asians, Hispanics, Latinos, indigenous people, marginalized people, the disenfranchised, you take your pick. We are all level. All of us are level at the foot of the cross. And that's because of the very nature of who Jesus is. When we understand who Jesus is, that he is our peace, how could any one of us stand and prop ourselves up on top of anything else or anyone else? Jesus is our peace, and at the foot of the cross, we are level. We are level. Now, listen, friends, let, let me just make a real quick distinction here before we move on. Sometimes I think we have boiled down the work of peace as just keeping the peace. Right? Like, a, as, as, as Rodney King said in the LA riots, can't we all just get along? Right? Like, can't, can't we all just, and, and we think somehow that getting along is, is the goal. Right? Like keeping the peace. How do we keep the peace in a way that, like, you know, that's the goal that God wants for us, right? That's the ultimate goal of Jesus. Let's just, let's just learn how to get along and play nicely together. But Jesus isn't content with just peacekeeping. In fact, he's actually looking for something far greater and something far more substantial than that. God is actually seeking to create entirely new family. He doesn't just want us to get along and play nicely together. You know, that, that's kind of how I talk to my kids. You know, I got, I got a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, and like, when they go out and play, we're like, I pray no one comes back home with a broken bone. That's all, and if that, that, that happens, that's a good day, right? Like, just play nicely, get along, don't punch each other in the face or in the throat, you know, like, it will be okay, right? Like, that's a good day. And somehow for us, we think that's what Jesus wants for us. And in fact, that is not at all what Jesus wants. He actually wants something entirely different. God is actually seeking to create an entirely new family. We have hope because Jesus is our peace, but we also have hope in that God is creating 
This is, this is so important. Let me, let me try to explain what this is like. Many of you know my wife, Nicole. Uh, if you don't, I think we got a, a, a picture here to uh, show you. Look at that. Just a couple right there. Just wonderful. Uh, if you don't know my wife, you ought to get to know her. She is my true, true, and my better half. She's, she's wonderful. Um, and uh, we've been married for over 15, just over 15 years now. And um, if you pay close enough attention, you really have to pay attention to this. You may realize we don't look alike. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? Uh, you know, for, for one, my wife is a beautiful woman.
simultaneously on, on top of each other. And I remember when Nicole and I were dating, I had dinner with them for the first time. Culture shock, yes. Um, but but they, they, I remember they asked Nicole, they said, is Dan all right? Is, there, is, there, is he upset? Is there something wrong with him? And I was like, no, why? And they were like, well, when we sat down for dinner, all we did was eat. It's like, what, what, what's wrong with him? Why, why, why did we see only the top of his head at the dinner table? And because to me, friends, you got to understand, when you sit down at the dinner table and there's food in front of you, you eat. That's what you do, right? Like you eat. I mean, you know, but, but for Nicole's family, food was secondary. We got together to talk. You know, and every, every pause of the breath, we would stuff food in our mouths and occasionally talk, you know, even, even then. But, but for my family, there was no talking at the dinner table. I know for some of you, this might sound like, what? That this, there was no talking at the dinner table. When you sit, sat down to eat, that's exactly what you did. You, you ate. And all you would hear during dinner time was the chewing of food, the scraping of spoons, the clickety-clack of chop chopsticks, the sipping of soups and stews, right? Like, that, that's all you would hear. No one's yapping about what the Kardashians are up to lately. Like, no one cares. My parents didn't even know who the Kardashians are. Kardashians, yeah, like, who are the Kardashians? I don't know who the Kardashians are, you know, like, and so there was no yapping about anything. And in fact, when you're done eating, in the Korean culture, when you're done eating, you say, right? And that means, thank you for the meal. That's the extent of conversations around the dinner table. You know that, thank you for the meal, you get up from the seat, and then you go about your business. Very, very different, as you can tell. And so when we got married, we had to sort through some of these family dynamics and ask ourselves, what kind of family do we want to create? Because you see, friends, you got to understand, the truth of the matter is, when, when we got married, we understood that we were essentially leaving our families behind, so to speak, and creating a new family of our own. In fact, this is a topic of discussion that we talk about with our premarital couples that are engaged and getting ready to get married. We talk about, you know, when you get married, that's really these two lives with two very different backgrounds, two very different ways of doing life and handling life, and you're merging them together to create a brand new family. And so the question that we were having was, what kind of family do we want to create? Now, friends, hear me. When Nicole and I got married, the conversations we were having were not, okay, so Dan, let's try to figure out how to make you more Italian. How do we make you more loud and obnoxious? How do we make you more like us, right? Like the, the question that we were having weren't like, okay, Nick, let's, Let's Koreanize you. Let's, 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 see, let's figure out how to, how, to, how to make you more like my people. Let, let's figure out how to make you more Korean. In the same way, the Jews and the Gentiles weren't having conversations like where the Jews were sitting down with the Gentiles and being like, how do we make you more Jewish? How do we, how do we make you kosher? Like, how, do we, how do we make you more like us? Right? And, and vice versa, the Gentiles weren't sitting around with the Jews and being like, all right, Jews, listen. If we're going to get along, if we're going to do life together, man, you got to find a way to become more gentilic. I, mean, I think that's a word, maybe not. How do we make you more like us Gentiles? You see, when Paul was talking about Christ being our peace, and Christ being the 
cornerstone of this temple, the body, the collective body of believers, building this, this temple that God is building in and through us, what he was talking about was the creation of a brand new family, a brand new something else. He was talking about a kind of family that would root themselves not in their family of origin, but in the one who was joining this new family together. This family would find their association not with the color of their skin or the culture of their background, but to the Christ who literally gave up his skin and flesh so that we might be a part of a new family, the family of God. Today's passage paints that picture of Christ joining us together to form a new family, the family of God under his name. In fact, I want to offer up just one more quote from Rich Lotus. He, I, I love what he says here. He said, God is not simply in the business of dry cleaning our souls. And in case you're wondering if uh, the dry cleaning business is a stereotype of Asians, my parents own a dry cleaning business. So I don't know what that says. Maybe that's why this quote resonates with me so deeply. But, but anyway, God, God is not simply in the business of dry cleaning our souls. He is in the business of tearing down walls and creating a new family, a new way of belonging together. One could argue that the primary fruit of the gospel is not going to heaven when you die, but rather the miraculous new family that is created out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The primary fruit of the gospel, it could be argued that it is the miraculous new family that is created out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, the fact that Jews and Gentiles were joined together, it was no small thing. It was a big deal. The, the fact that Jews and Gentiles were joined together to form a new family was a, as big of a miracle as anything else. The thought of Jews and Gentiles forming one family would have been as crazy sounding as, you know, I don't know, like, Penn State fans breaking bread with Ohio State fans. I mean, that, like, that would be, you know, some, some of you say, that would require an act of God for me to break bread with a Buckeye. Like, that's the point. That's the point. You know, the, the, the miraculous phenomenon that is the Jews and the Gentiles coming together to form one family would have been a miracle proportionate to that of whites and blacks linking arms during the Civil Rights Movement during Martin Luther King Jr. days. The, the Jews and Gentiles forming one family would have been as miraculous as white nationalists, nationalists sitting down and, and sharing a meal with folks from the NAACP. They would have been, it would have been as wild, as quiet, stoic Koreans sharing a meal with loud, obnoxious Italians. What's my point? Groups of people you would never imagine coming together end up coming together under the banner of Jesus. Groups of people you would never put together in one room, in one place, come together and unite together and bond together under the name of Jesus. And friends, that is what church is. That's a picture of the church. And that is precisely what God is building. People of every tribe, of every tongue, and of every nation, united under one name, giving our worship and our praise to one God, Praising the name that is above every name. That's what we're a part of. 
Because that's what Jesus is building. He's not building an organization. He's not building a club. He's building a new family. A new family that you and I are called to be a part of. I wish I had a whole other section where I can unpack. So what does this new family look like? What are the qualities of this new family? In fact, in, in, in several weeks, we're going to unpack some of this, some of these concepts a little bit further at our midweek gathering. And so I realize some of you can't make that. That's okay. Uh, but but in, the, in the coming weeks, as we unpack Ephesians, we see glimpses of what this new kind of family looks like. This new kind of family that Jesus is building. And in the meantime, can I encourage us with this? And worship team, you guys can come on out. Church family, can I, can I exhort us here this morning? Can I encourage us? Can we be a people? Can we be a people who look to Jesus as our ultimate peace in our times of greatest turmoil? In the midst of all the headlines and all the bad news that we see in our world today of racial tension and racial barriers, can we be a people who hold on to the peace that transcends all of that? A people who hold on to the Prince of Peace. And out of that place, let's commit to partnering with Jesus and being the sledgehammer of God and breaking down walls of hostility and learning to be the family of God as God intended us to be. To be the people. To be the family of God, members of this family who would link arms with people who don't look like us. Who don't think like us don't act like us, but they're actually bound together with us because of that one name, the name of Jesus. In fact, can we just bow our heads here just for a moment? And I want to ask us to do some business with the Lord. 